So I begged all of my friends if I could paint their shoes. And they were like, no, like, what the hell is wrong with you? I bought Walmart combat boots and I cut them up to figure out how boots were made because my boot making class wasn't for two years. And I was like, I have this idea. I have these bags. Like, I need to make these now. I was like, screw art. Like, that's for weirdos. I needed some sort of direction. I felt like I was, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And just, it was like the worst week of my life ever. The past two years, I keep hearing this word process. Like, we got a new professor, and now he talks a lot about the process. So I know. Hello and welcome back you beautiful people. I hope you're having, about to, or have had a beautiful day today. If you're new here, my name is Syme, Syme like time. Welcome to a place where we hang out and start conversations with creatives. I had the pleasure to speak with Clay Brackholz. Clay started his creative journey when he was four years old. Today, we see his work shown on pages like Highest Nobody. Clay is currently a designer at Minted New York. We talked about how he used his platform like TikTok as a digital portfolio, how he fell in love with shoes and begged his friends to paint their shoes in middle school, healthy creative mind concept, and much more. Remember, if you want to watch the podcast, you can watch it on YouTube. I'm very thankful that you're here let's get in the conversation it's weird i feel like i already know you just homie vibes you know what i'm saying yeah for sure so like let's get into your background and what kind of inspired you to begin your journey and then we'll get into like details after my name is clay barkholtz i'm a 21 year old designer from detroit michigan i guess what started it in the beginning was my father was an artist. That was kind of the main inspiration to get into some of those things. So I was trained in like painting and drawing for, I don't know, seven years. And then senior year, junior year came around and I was like, this, yeah, I don't like this. Like, uh, I don't really like drawing very much. I don't really like painting very much. Um, Like, I don't know if I can do this as a career and my dad was like well you like really like shoes and i've enjoyed shoes like shoes my whole life and i actually was painting shoes in middle school and i had like a little sneaker customization business he was like here i'll uh we can do like a, a summer course at the college i went to which is college for creative studies and it was making shoes and i was like this is stupid like i'm gonna hate this and I loved it. And um, I made like a shoe in a bag. And then I, I also did like a product design class. So I also designed a lamp. And I was like, this is awesome. And so I was like, I want to do this in college. Yeah. And now, now I'm, I'm here. Hell yeah. Now you're here. Uh, yeah, that's the, the origin story. One of my favorite designers out there. Like definitely when it comes to accessories, let's be honest. You know. Thank you. Thank you. I heard somewhere that you started your artistic journey when you were four years old. Let's talk about that. Yeah. My dad has a, a, a picture, or I drew a cactus when I was four, because uh, we have this room in our house filled with cactuses. And not really sure why, but like the older I get, the more interesting that is to me. But when I was young, I was just like, the hell is wrong with this? But yeah, so at four, I drew a picture of a cactus, and my dad wanted to put that. He was like, you should put that in your college, like, entry portfolio. Like, submit that to the school and be like, I've been doing this since I was four. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, uh, that's not how it works. But I guess that was, like, the start of it all. And it was, a, like, a love-hate relationship growing up. Because I wanted to be like the athlete, you know, I wanted to be the college athlete. That was all I was really interested in. So I was like, screw art, like that's for weirdos. So I had this like very much back and forth. So I was able to channel that through like shoe painting. That was like the merge of it was the merge of the athletes and the art. Let's talk about shoe painting. So the account was called Clay B Customs. <laughs> Damn, you did do your research. Of course I did my research, man. <laughs> All right, so Clayby Customs. Yes. It just started with you painting shoes. I think you started with Air Force Ones, hey? And so let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I saw uh, it was like when I first got on Instagram because um, I'm pretty sure Instagram was relatively new when I was in like seventh grade. 
and I saw people painting shoes and I saw like some galaxy custom and I was like damn like this shit is fire so I begged all my friends if I could paint their shoes and they were like no like what the hell is wrong with you and then I had one friend who was like he was definitely like he was quite wealthy right and he was like sure why not so he like bought a new pair of shoes and gave it to me and I did my first like galaxy custom and then from there like I there was it was like a local like a couple people were like damn like can I get that on my Roshis or whatever and I was like sure I was doing some crazy stuff like I'm not gonna lie like I was I bought an airbrush and I learned how to airbrush and I had like stencils and then um it is such a fun story to even talk about after like what seven eight years now you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so was your dad because i heard your dad is a big uh proponent of you being in art school and just being an artist in general he um he actually thought the shoe painting was stupid he um (laughs) he was definitely he thought shoes were dumb he thought because i would always buy shoes and he was like why would you spend all your money on shoes like they're like what's the point and at any middle school boy was a sneakerhead at some point. So, like, it was just how we grew up. It was just normal. So he thought all that was kind of dumb, and he didn't really understand it. But from that, I kind of was just more um, inspired to draw and paint more in my other classes or in, in school, and I was extremely disinterested by the time I got to high school. But with the shoes, I I would kind of just, it was like a, like a back and forth inspiration thing. Like what I did with my shoes kind of inspired me to try new things in the classroom. So I definitely became more interested in like our education, definitely got more into like different mediums of painting and eventually like finding my own personal style, like drawing style, painting style and all that kind of stuff. You say you kind of found weird to like be this artsy kid, you know what I'm saying? And I know you were varsity captain of your baseball and basketball team. So let's talk about the influence of sports in fashion. Or mm-hmm. you as a person? Definitely. I wouldn't say like I love sports like I used to, but I think what I learned a lot from high school sports was like healthy ways of living your life. Like I, I played for some like, you know, my basketball team was like an extremely toxic environment. But mm-hmm. in the end, like okay. I came out with like some thicker skin, you know, like what people thought of me didn't really matter because although I was like, the captain or whatever it it wasn't so much because I was good at it it was more because I was like a I was like more of a leader uh and and that's kind of what sports taught me was like habits and like working hard and like even though you're not good at something like obsession will always be talent so I wasn't horrible but I also just like I worked really hard um, I didn't want to suck at basketball, but looking back, like I was, I was pretty bad. But in the end, it, I guess none of that skill really matters anymore. It's more of the, like the the good life habits, and you know, like taking care of your body and taking care of your mind, and and being well in toxic environments. I think that's kind of what I was able to take away from that and bring into. Um, daily life now. Yeah, no, I had a privilege with speaking with Drew Joyner, and he was a D1 basketball, and he touched on a, on a similar concept. You know, when you're playing sports, you have to be, because you're kind of competing with everyone, you know? You have to be, mm-hmm. it, you're taught to be the best of the best, and it can get toxic, but then when you're doing other things, so I feel like it kind of helps you out. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Definitely. Sports are, are funny, you know, like organized sports are extremely funny. Um, And I guess that like that toxicness motivated me to just like go and work out on my own. And I think that's definitely something that I have taken from sports and applied to, to like now when, when there's a, like a a bad environment or um, just like a, a bad group, like, I'd rather just go off and put the work in alone and, like, practice, like, self-determination rather than 
um, kind of relying on others for motivation and um, that sort of thing. Based on the research I've done on you, and I feel like you're a very high performing individual, you know, half marathon, working out every day. You, you know, you mentioned doing 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. studio days. The person you have become, I feel like a lot of it is due to your work ethic. How do you improve work ethic? Like all that you've learned from sports, you've been able to apply to your daily life now. How can you help someone achieve similar work ethic? Or do you think it just kind of comes within you? I I personally think that I'm like like a lazy person deep down. Like I really enjoy not doing anything. But um, I thank you. Thank you. But I think I've figured out ways in life to kind of like stack habits. Um, I read this book, Atomic Habits, and I feel like a lot of people have probably talked about it. But they talk about habit stacking. And although I don't take what those books say quite literally, I think there's a lot to take away from it. I think things are easier to do if it's like one, one thing after another, like um so like faster pace and things like that and yeah I, I think it's just building habits um and building like a consistent daily routine that gets things done and is like it's all part of the process and i know like that's something i learned a lot from marcus and sean is that although doing the same thing every day is extremely monotonous uh, i have like horrible anxiety from doing knowing what you're doing every day, it takes a lot of that anxiety away because you know what's going on in the day. But I've also learned to not be too rigid and try to be too flexible. So it's like finding that balance between like habits and knowing what you're doing every day and being able to get done, um, but also rolling with the punches because you never know what could happen every day. So I think over the past year, Um, I've tried to kind of break out of that super rigid, like, if this doesn't happen after the next thing, like, I'm losing my shit. And that like, that can't happen anymore. It's extremely unhealthy. So I try Mm -hmm. to be a little more lenient with myself. And um, also a lot of that, like, super, super being super strict about it just creates like a lot of like, self hatred. And um I've learned like the older I've gotten that it just, it can't go in that direction. Like you got to be, be a little loose and you got to roll with the punches, especially um, how you treat yourself when it comes to those habits. What are those habits that you're doing consistently? Uh, I definitely, I think going to bed and waking up at the same time, at least Monday through Friday is extremely beneficial. Um, knowing what time you're the most productive at. So say someone's very productive at night. Um, So go to bed late and wake up late and do that every day. If you, if you're just cause someone goes to bed early and wakes up early, doesn't make them like a hard worker. Some people just work better at other times. So for me, mm-hmm. um, 9.30, I'm asleep, 5.30, I'm up. And then, um, some sort of body movement, some sort of working out. Um, as of lately, it's just been weight training. And then I know once nine o'clock, 10 o'clock hits, that's when I'm most productive. So um, I'm usually working until the evening. And then once the evening hits, I I try to do some sort of unwinding and then dinner, go to bed. It's there's not a whole lot that goes on inside the day, but it's just those kind of like morning rituals or nighttime rituals. Um, I think like the front end and that the back end of your day is extremely important and having some sort mm-hmm. of morning routine and nighttime routine just to, cause I know a lot for creatives, uh, a lot of people don't sleep and I think that's yeah. horrible. So I think some sort of nighttime routine to get you sleeping Um, is extremely beneficial. So those sorts of things, um, just like the building blocks that make that afternoon grind uh, a little easier and a little more peaceful. Well said. I feel like, because again, we're just having a conversation. I kind of just want to talk about, you know, your headspace and learn from you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everybody knows this. And I think I've talked about this with a few other creatives as well. But what is it that makes Marcus or you 
go to bed at a certain time and wake up no matter what. Because life is all about unpredictability, right? Homie can hit up. Oh, let's go hit up a pub, you know, and it's just one drink. But then that one drink can go towards three drinks and then it's like 12 a.m. Oh, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that something about being broken just totally throws off the day. I know for me personally, I haven't particularly spoken to Marcus about it, but I'm sure he'd um, say the same. And he's like no go out at all. And, you know, on uh, like a Friday or Saturday, like I'd love to go out and like get a drink with someone and and just catch up. But uh, I try to keep it like relatively early. But it's just that that breaking of the cycle. It just when you do something consistently for so long and it just gets thrown off like one day, it, it just the whole day feels off. And then it's kind of like this snowball effect downwards so um it's yeah it's definitely about the the consistency like the consistency that you've built kind of just being thrown off and i I wish it wasn't like that you know but unfortunately uh that's just what i've experienced i think at first you just gotta force yourself Mm -hmm. how long have you been like sleeping and waking up at the same time it was primarily this past school year I had never been like this but sometimes there's just so much that you want to get done that Mm -hmm. this is the only way that it's going to happen like to to get some of these things done you got to make sacrifices and um, my sacrifices have been staying up late and and going out and you know like it sucks but at the same time I'm much more satisfied with career goals being reached and and coming up with ideas and those are the things that like bring me immense joy and satisfaction let's talk about transition from an intern to a part-time designer and mint in new york now how has that been like i know you love it but a lot of creatives want to get to that point work for brands creatives want to work for smaller brands and that's no shade mm-hmm. to minted. You know, you learn a lot more. You actually mentioned this. Yeah. Working for Michael Kors or brands like those, you're just a fish in a huge pond, you know? Yeah. But when you're working in a smaller team, you're learning basically everything. How's that mm-hmm. been like? Yeah. I don't know. Something about commercial fashion and commercial jobs just give me like a extreme, just like bad feeling, I, especially fashion related commercial jobs. Cause I see a lot of our graduating seniors go and work for coach and Michael Kors and, you know, uh, all the tapestry brands, Stuart Wiseman and Calvin Klein. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I, sometimes I feel like some of them are just getting groomed for their ideas. Um, so I, what I really enjoy with minted is the, I get to see everything. You know, I know exactly what's going on. There's no ladder of people through which my work gets watered down. You know, by the time it gets to the top of Michael Kors, it's probably a completely different thing than what I would have designed. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't want to go through four years of rigorous school, pay a shit ton of money, you know, for that to happen. So um, that's kind of led me astray from commercial work. And I guess I never realized that until I worked for Minted. And about once I finished my internship, I was like, damn, like, I really like this because everyone at first thought I was going to get screwed. And and I don't know, I kind of just like looked at them funny. Um, not many people gave me any respect or kind of props for getting that because it was a smaller brand and they were all like, Oh yeah, they're just going to steal your ideas. What the hell is coach doing then? Like, or what is Michael Kors doing? Aren't they just stealing ideas? So I definitely went through a period of my life where it was like commercial versus small brand. Like I was fighting, you know, what do I want to do? And by the end of the internship, um, Marcus was like, Hey, you want to work part time? And I was like, yes, please. So it's been a blast. And it's, I I wasn't expecting to grow as much as a designer from working for a smaller brand um, just because 
you know, like he's new to it as well. And um, Sean's like, we're, this is all so new to us. So it's like, we've been able to work together to grow and to push each other. So um, I've learned a ton about the business side of things and, and they don't teach you that in school. So from that, um, I, I honestly, I enjoy sometimes using that side of my brain a little more than the creative side. So it's nice to be able to go back and forth. Whereas working for a commercial brand, I think I would just only be like in creative mode and I would burn out horribly, I'm sure. So yeah, I, I, I do definitely want to continue working um, for Minted and uh, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunities that they've given me. Like we have a collab with Saucony and um, yeah, they yeah, yeah. brought me to Boston. Yeah, they brought me to Boston and I got to sat at, sit at a table, um, little 20-year-old me, and, and we were just chopping it up with, with Saucony. And, and that was just like a crazy experience to me because – I don't think I'd be able to get that anywhere else. So it's these, those sorts of experiences that are just like, I I wouldn't trade those for any corporate experience. So how do other creatives pursue to work at brands like Minted? Cause I know, I know how you kind of got into it. Marcus found you through TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to get into showcasing the work as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I like to tell people like I just got extremely lucky. <laughs> it was it was at a time when I needed it as well in my life where I I needed some sort of direction. I felt like I was like I didn't know what the hell I was doing and just it was like the worst week of my life ever. And I was just oh, I was going through it. I it, I was just like it was a, a a period of like deep growing up, you know. And it's like the worst week of my life. And I get a call, some random Virginia number. And it was Marcus. And like, I had forgotten. He DM'd me a few weeks before. He was like, hey, like, you want to work something out? And I've talked to him about it. Like, what about me interested him? And he talks a lot about the process. Over the year, the past two years, I keep hearing this word process. Like, we got a new professor um, and now he talks a lot about the process. So I know uh, working for like the high up commercial brands, so like Louis Vuitton, Givenchy, like they look at your process book. So when you do a collection, you like these brands want to see your process and how you got from point A to point B, uh, like what, you know, what inspires you, what your creative process is like. And I guess I never realized I was doing that through my TikTok videos. Um so I think it's posting, you know, like post your process. Um, people want to know how you think as much as as little as I, uh, I really don't like talking on social media. I don't know what it is. I have some weird thing about it. It's just like, I feel like a lot of people can get how I think from the videos that I'm posting, just like step-by-step processes. And I know that's a lot why Marcus um, he liked my work because I was showing like the, the raw process. I was showing the messing up. I was showing the sketches. And I think a lot of people gatekeep sketching. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal is, but there's a weird thing about people like people not showing off their original designs. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's a security thing. Like people don't want their designs stolen. But the amount of work it takes to get from sketch to final product is like so much. So the I don't think anyone who takes someone's sketch and makes it, I guess like props to you because you knew how to get from, you know, that step and get something manufactured. So I think people That's just so need to post their creative process a lot more. For someone not to show their original drawing or how they got that original drawing is just a little weird to me. Well, I was speaking with Musea, and he runs Solace Theory in Perth, Australia. And we talked about this because, you know, you see brands copying size charts now. And he was like, but there's always going to be an advantage to who did it first. Mm-hmm. And that kind of also stuck with me, right? Absolutely. You're always going to be behind if you're copying someone. Because I know your TikTok, your bio itself is digital portfolio. And you're yeah. avid about you know showing that progress now. How do you deal with criticism? I think it, it takes a special person 
I'm, I'm, I guess I'll first touch on hate. I think it takes a special person to go out of their way to comment like hate on someone's video. Yeah, for I sure. I think that shit is so stupid. Like, are you that bored or like that sad that that is what you're spending your time doing? So I guess I don't take hate very seriously, but I, I, I do like reading constructive criticism. Sometimes when people like talk shit on shoe videos or whatever, uh, a lot of the time it's like, like I may sound cocky, but like, show me the shoe you made. It's like, whenever I see those sorts of things, um, if it's not constructive, I, I guess I kind of like to fuck with them a little bit and um, not take it super seriously. Maybe try to like joke around with them about it. Um, not like be a complete asshole, but I do think hate comments, it, it takes a special person to do that. Um, so, yeah. and I know like with minted Marcus kind of handles things the same way. He might be a little bit nicer about it. Um, but he's also like, all right, like, like if you, if you're talking the talk, like, like show your stuff. And, and a lot of the time, you know, it's just people sitting behind their screens talking shit. Um, but I, I've definitely received some like great constructive criticism. Um, so sometimes the comment section is like, you know, a critique. And I, I've really enjoyed that a lot because believe it or not, our school isn't great with critiques. Um, we just recently got a professor um, who's like great with critiques, but up to this last semester, I had never really been critiqued. So that was another reason I was using TikTok was how can I get like real-time consumer feedback on um, the stuff that I'm making. Although I'm not doing large production runs, like it's still nice to know what people who would be buying my work would like to see in it. So, yeah. And I think, um, would you agree, the more you put your work out, the more you showcase your work, um, even if you're getting hate, the thicker your skin is going to get, right? Yeah, absolutely. So at first, yeah. it's just kind of forcing yourself to showcase your work and keeping in your mind that, you know, if I am getting hate, if it's not constructive criticism, if it's not criticism, then, I mean, why do I even care, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about um, uh, you're an advocate for formal education in arts. Because, I mean, you can learn all these skills yourself on YouTube. So why do you think formal education is important in arts? I think formal education is extremely important in design specifically. Okay. I don't think – I think this might be a hot take and I might get shit for it, but I think – like going to college to like paint um, might be a bad idea. Uh, I think like a fine arts route is a little bit, it's risky, that's for sure. But I think design wise, I think there's a lot of things you learn in school that you can't learn on the internet. Um, maybe you can learn how to make clothes, but how are you going to learn how to put a process book together, you know, or uh, in, in my case, there is like no videos on how to make shoes. That is like a, a lost art. So going to school for accessories, I think is like probably the best route. Um, I think accessories make money. I think accessories stand out. And I think accessories are the things you can't figure out how to make on the internet. So um, I think you can learn a, a lot about patterning um, that's what I've learned a lot through school, but school isn't going to teach you all of that. Like you still need to be ambitious. You still need to be curious and you still need to go out and do things on your own. So I think, uh, formal design education creates like a really nice building block. Um, and the, it's not the greatest, um, environment in my opinion, but I do think that it teaches you like a, a great foundation um, to build on top of and to push things. But it definitely more of a design route rather than a fine arts route. See, it's interesting you say that because like I've been learning about you and I've been really struggling with getting my idea 
come to life. And when I send it to manufacturers, it just doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is. And I'm thinking about, because I live in Montreal, I have schools that I can go to. Yeah, yeah. I think when it, what I've learned recently is when it comes to knowing how to make things, I think you're able to innovate a lot more when you know how things are made. Um, and I also think that when you know how things are made and your manufacturers like, we can't do that, you can send pictures of everything and be like, this is how you do it. So I think knowing how things are made and then going out to manufacture, you have much more control over the creative process because uh, just making a tech pack and sending it to someone, like shit's going to get fucked up. So yeah. if you're able to make it already and they have a base to go off of, um, it, it's less likely to get watered down and you don't have to compromise as much. And um, so I think that's definitely something to be learned from formal, formal education. Um, I think you can pattern clothes definitely off the internet, but I, I guess I just don't have a whole lot of interest in making clothes. I'm much more interested in accessories. And I think you need to go to school to, to learn those sorts of things. What would you say is the difference between them? I mean, you did touch on fashion accessories versus fashion apparel, I guess. So if you were in my position and you wanted to make clothes, um, the little that you know about me, would you go and get formal education in fashion design to make clothes? Because bear in mind, I already have a marketing degree. I can't make, like, I want to make imperfect pieces and I'm just unable to execute it no matter how well of a tech pack I give to, mm -hmm. I've had like seven manufacturers make samples. It just, in my head, it just doesn't look right. Yeah, I um, I would definitely, if it's not like a, a, a four years bachelor's, I, I don't know if I'd say go out and do that, but I, I definitely know that there's, sewing resources like i know in detroit we have a you can take like a two-year clothing sewing sort of course and i think going into that sort of education or getting like an associates i don't know if there's associates and in, in fashion design but maybe not doing the full four-year stretch because it really is time consuming but mm -hmm. i definitely think uh, some sort of educational class um, would probably save you uh, a, a couple of headaches. So Yeah. Oh, so I looked at your studio, and I see that you use medicine ball. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's uh, at my parents' house. Yeah, I would use a, yeah. a medicine ball over summers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. It kind of intrigued me. I, um, I can't even I, – I can't even give you, like, a particular reason for it, but – the, I was sitting on like this bench and damn that shit was uncomfortable so um I, I definitely like move around and fiddle when I get into the the creative process and I yeah I need some sort of like oral fix not oral fixation but like some sort of fixation um and or even oral fixation like I bite on pens and stuff um uh -huh. and I guess sometimes that just makes the process easier so I think like Sometimes bouncing up and down on that yeah. ball was like enough to get the get me like into the process. So it's definitely when when I'm really deep in it, it's like a very energetic experience. Like I, I like to move around, I like to to like walk around and, and pace around, and just like really get into like my space and and where I'm feel the most comfortable. I love it. You know, you said that you get a lot of comfort from your work as well. When was the first time yes. you found it super comforting from your work? It was those green boots. I don't know if you saw those, the green boots with the I lashes. Did. But I feel like that was like, I like started a new life. I feel like I, I was like reborn when I made those. It was one of the most satisfying experiences. Um, and it was the first time like people like fucked with my work. And I was like, this is going to be an extremely important um, experience in my life. And I was just so proud of myself. And until that point, there was just like this deep dis dissatisfaction with what I'd done with painting, with drawing. I never really loved anything I did. 
until that. Uh, it was just so satisfying. And it was so ambitious for the knowledge that I had as well. Like I had a pair of Walmart. I bought Walmart combat boots and I cut them up to figure out how boots were made because my boot making class wasn't for two years. And I was like, I have this idea. I have these bags. Like I need to make these now. So I went to Walmart and bought like $5 boots and I cut them up to figure out how the pieces went together. And from there, I was able to make those boots. So looking back on it, I was crazy for even like wanting to do that. But it was an extremely satisfying process. I hope you're listening to self to yourself, Clay. Like you are extremely talented in your work ethic. You're eager to learn more. I'm not just saying it like you. you. You should hear yourself. You are so fucking talented. It is crazy to me. Thank you know, you. sitting down here, speaking with you, learning from you about just different shit. Like we have talked about fucking from medicine ball to like who knows what, you know, habits. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm privileged to have this conversation with you. Thank you. I, I hope what I'm saying makes sense too because I know a lot of these times when I like really get into – to talk like I'm extremely passionate about this stuff like I know I yeah. start talking faster and I might be all over the place but I hope like there's some information coming out of it no I feel that too I mean I I was speaking with Jaden Tulu uh last mm-hmm. week I saw that Do you know yeah. who that is yeah so yeah, he made those we, one jeans yeah bro those jeans are crazy like oh, wow that's something all over tiktok I know. Same. Yeah. And we talked about it. I, I told him, I was like, hey, like, am I the only one who fucking absolute hates what he does? He's like, no, like I do too. I'm like, but your shit is so fucking sick. And like thousands of people are buying it. He's like, yeah, yeah but still, I don't like what I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there will always be like a level of dissatisfaction. But I think that's what kind of gives you that edge, you know. Like I, I, you can't completely be satisfied with everything that you do, but you know, in the end, you need to be happy with it in some shape or form, but anything can always be better. There, there's no reason to chase like crazy perfection. And I think that's what I've learned a lot through drawing, honestly, is that like, fuck perfection. Like I used to draw like photorealistic and when I have my most fun is when I'm creating imperfect things. So like my drawing style is so fucked and some people are probably like, it looks like kids work, but that doing that as like a side practice and like a, a more of a passion rather than a a career kind of translates to my creative process when it comes to making clothes. Like I obviously want my shoes to look perfect, but to get to that point can be as messy as you want. I know what you're talking about. You know how you're supposed to color um, outside mm-hmm. of line and then you color like inside, if that makes sense. Like I'll put um, there, like I'll make mm-hmm. a clip of this and post like a video or put the video in like a B-roll and then it'll make more sense. Because right now, like I feel like I fucking suck at explaining shit. Um, no, no, sometimes no. I'm just I, like, I why am I even doing mean. podcasts? Yeah. yeah. No, no, you're doing great. Oh, you're doing awesome. I, I definitely know what you mean with the like the coloring in the line and outside the line. Um, yeah. In high school, I was trained to like color inside the lines. And then like senior, junior, senior year, like I, I started to let loose. And then when I first got to CCS, um, there was some opportunities in my foundation drawing classes, specifically figure drawing that kind of set the tone for drawing in in the future. And now, like, I went through a period of tightening up again, you know, like making sure all my shoe drawings are perfect because I have to, you know, I was working for Minted and I'm working for mm-hmm. Minted. Like, I need to make sure what's in my mind is readable from Marcus or Sean. Like, they need to know what I'm thinking perfectly. But now I'm starting to kind of loosen up again, you know, and, and see how much of that – like how 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 personal can I make those perfect drawings? So I guess that's like my new um, journey is how can I still have all the information that needs to be seen from someone else, but make it look like it's done by me. So, 
Let's talk about another thing that kind of inspires you, I guess. So you say your work, you would describe it as simple-minded, right? And the and the way you would kind of explain it is, you know, less thinking and just letting ideas flow. Definitely. What does that mean? I actually just saw a, a Earl Sweatshirt talking about how he came up with one of his songs and he was writing in a notebook and his pen ran out of ink. So he wrote another verse on like with a different pen color. And after that, he realized like that was like the chorus of the song and the rest of it was, you know, I don't know the construction of songs, but it was like so accidental, but so perfect. And it it made like a good song. Um, I think those are the sorts of ideas that are quote unquote simple minded. It's those ideas that just like pop in your head and you just have this like deep gut feeling and you're like, shit, like this is the one. And um, I definitely have become more aware of that feeling. It's unexplainable, um, but it's just like a very particular feeling and it's not forced. Um, and that's another thing that Earl Sweatshirt was talking about is the the forced ideas are the ones he doesn't fuck with. And um, I th- that's the one thing formal school has taught me is like ideation, like you need to ideate, ideate, ideate. But sometimes I feel like that's forcing um, new mm-hmm. ideas. So sometimes I just feel like that like gut feeling that you're like, damn, like this is the one. I think just expand on it. Like there's no reason to be doing more ideations. Um, so I think it's the continually ideated, the forced ideas are the ones that don't feel as satisfying as the, that, you know, what if this bag had a fist print in it, you know, like those sorts yeah. of ideas. And, um, that was one of those ideas that clicked and I was like, shit, like I got to figure out how to do this. So I also think those, the ones with the less, kind of deep thought Mm -hmm. I I think sometimes I think the more thought out it is um like the more you think if it's possible um I think the less innovation there is if that makes any sense I'm trying to figure out how to word this but the idea of letting the ideas flow and like waiting for it and then making it happen and then it will automatically happen because of like the energy mm-hmm. and all that, so, you know what I'm saying? Does that help you kind of yeah. explain? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the thing is like when you're running a business, right, you have deadlines to meet. You have intense deadlines to meet because if you don't meet those deadlines, then other people are not going to meet those deadlines and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. How would you find balance between – not ideating so much on a project and being able to meet those deadlines. Yeah. Um, I definitely run into those deadlines of school. I hate them. Deadlines are the killers of creativity, but Mm. I think, I don't know. It's, it's when you are subconsciously, you know, that deadlines there. I feel like that's when the idea like really just pops up at the most random time. It's not when you sit down to ideate or when you sit down to come up with an idea. It's when you're in the car on the way home or or it's, it's when you take like that breath of fresh air. Um, but your brain like knows there's a deadline to me, babe. I I don't know. It's one of those magical experiences, you know, like what inspires you or that, that new idea that really makes you feel good. I think those are the, the mystical things that we need to enjoy Whereas you can sit down and be creative as a habit. Um, So I think there are ideas that have to be forced, but I think definitely pay attention to those ideas that pop in your head at the most random times. Um, But I I hate deadlines, man. It's the worst, but they're inescapable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's kind of what makes money, you know, and unfortunately, that's how yeah. we live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about for sure blending identity and career in creative work. You know, you said I think it's easy for creatives to mix identity and career, as many sprinkle identity in everything they do. Mm-hmm. 
Can you elaborate on it and we can sort of have a conversation? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think cre- people who pursue creative careers are extremely passionate people. And I mm-hmm. think extremely passionate people lace their identity in everything that they do. Lace and, and by lacing identity, they lace worth, or worth into their work. And I think it's extremely important to understand like your work isn't who you are. I think that's an extremely dark path to go down. I think you're a creative, um, some, something that no one ever told me was the ups and downs of a creative um, career. Like yeah. it's not, you know, like a, a flat line, like you're on a crazy high, a crazy low, like it's up and down. Mm-hmm. So I think by not rooting your worth uh, or your identity in your work as much um, like you obviously, you know, have that look, uh, you know, to make it look yeah. like it's done by you. You obviously have to put bits of you into it, but to understand that you're more than just that. Um, I think that's kind of how you, you know, ride the wave or stabilize it a little bit. Um, because you can lace your worth into it and some great shit happens and you're on a crazy ego high and then shit you have the down period and you're like extremely insecure about what you're doing. And then you have to dig yourself out of the pit. So I think creating like a boundary between work and life is extremely important. Like you can still do that and be extremely passionate about your work. Like that's, you know, that's not making me care any less about my work. It's just making um, life a little bit easier. Uh, there's a lot of super big egos or super low egos in, in the design world. I think that's where a lot of the competitiveness comes from. And I think if you can kind of find that balance in between that, um, you can kind of stick in your own lane. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. And I think that's extremely important. So I think the root of all of that is not basing your worth and your identity on your work. How do you go about finding that balance? Would you say you have found that balance? Yes, I, I think this, this past semester, I, I found that, that that balance. I think the main thing that I kind of saw from that is um, looking at the, the people. It, it sounds horrible, but I looked at the people I was going to school with and kind of their actions and their attitudes towards things. And I kind of drew that realization from that, but also just kind of looking at what gives me a high and what gives me a low. Um, And I also read this book. It's called The Creative Habit. She is like a dance composer and she composes like dances. And and although it's a completely different industry, she talks a lot about this um, idea of the amateur versus the professional. And one of the things she talks about is a professional is someone who does not let uh, identity and work intertwine um, and, and kind of clash with each other because that's kind of the, the snowball effect from it. So she's saying like the professional um, is able to separate work and life and the amateur is the one whose work is life. What are, what are the actions that you're taking to find this balance then? Uh, therapy. <laughs> okay. Definitely uh, going That's to cool. therapy and talking about uh, this sort of thing with my therapist. Uh, our school offers therapy and, and, and we've talked about this before because everyone who she works with is a creative and she's mm-hmm. seen um, things that are, are causing troubles. Um, I think staying in your own lane and, and being reflective on yourself, your work and your actions is extremely important. Um, I think you need to understand your motives and why you're doing things. So I definitely say being um, self-reflective is is an action I've taken um, because, you know, I can feel when my ego's high and when my ego's low and to kind of dive deeper into why uh, I've learned is from not having a a work-life balance. And you kind of get, I I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but to just feel like your entire life is work. um, Absolutely. Yeah. Reflecting on 
yeah, I think reflecting on that feeling and why um, is, is important. But I also think um, the one of the big things I did to separate that was I moved off campus as like little as it sounds to wake up and leave to go do my schoolwork or to go work, um, leave mm-hmm. the house is like an extremely, you know, you have certain spaces for certain things and to be able to come home and my space is no longer at school doing school um, has been a, a good step. So definitely dedicating certain spaces to certain activities. Um, but if you're just, it sounds so, I feel like extremely like nitpicky and super specific, but I just think doing everything in your power to um, be very intentive um, and giving intent to actions in certain areas. If that makes any sense, I don't know. I may have just rambled on, but. No, yeah, you definitely didn't ramble on. I feel like you're too hard on yourself as well, Clay. (laughs) Well, yeah, and and I guess I I haven't, you know, done uh, a, a, a perfect job of, forming this balance. Cause I'm still, you know, hard on myself for, for things like that. But, um, it, I think it'll probably be a lifelong journey. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause especially when you're a creative and then you become, become an entrepreneur, your life is all about that entrepreneurship, right? Everything revolves yeah. around that. Yeah. That's a, that's a 24 seven job almost. Yeah. So, and there's another, I I started getting, working on getting shoes manufactured and, and that was another step I had to take. How can I form some boundaries in my life where that isn't going to become a 24 seven thing? Um, Mm -hmm. Where can I do certain things at certain times to where it won't affect other work that I'm doing? Because Right now, I've got school, minted, and then my business. Um, yeah. All sorts of on, on different levels. So I think going into each day with intent about what sort of brain I'm using um, keeps everything separate and forms boundaries between everything. Currently, how is an average day looking like? Because you're fitting in, working out. You're also fitting in. So you're fitting in lifting weights, then you're fitting in a run as well. Then you got your project, mm-hmm. then you got your job, uh, school, life, yeah. sleep. Yeah. Right now, social life as it's well. nice. Yeah, social life okay. is bottom of the totem pole. But um, okay. I, during school... I'll give like a school and a now. I much prefer the now. School, it was like wake up 5.30, um, run, lift, get to the studio by 9.30. Um, actually, 9. I usually had a 9 a.m. So it would it would be like go to class, do whatever I needed to do in class, and then usually I would have the entire afternoon um, to work. So I'd work till about six or seven, come home, uh, work on minted for an hour usually. And then usually while I eat my dinner and then the key was to watch an episode of a show before I went to bed. And that was the unwinding, but it was like during school, what I had to figure out was in between each one of those tasks, like how can you take a breath of fresh air and like restart? Um, didn't really figure that out, but, and now fast forward, it's summertime. So now it's really nice. It's like, you know, wake up at six, six thirty. um, make my way to the gym, get home, just take everything at a much slower pace. And then by about 10 or 11, I'm working on minted only. And I work till about five and then I have the rest of the night to do whatever. And I much more prefer that over the craziness of school but with to be able to fit in work with school there was some days I didn't have classes um that day I would try to get you know five six hours in and then Saturday and Sunday I would work all day so it was there's no weekends no social life but only one more year of it so 
not too bad, I guess. Fair enough. It's actually quite inspiring. Um, yeah, literally a month, man. I don't know. Like, I, I, I would wake up at 5.30, put my phone across the room because my girlfriend would sleep with me. So I can't wake her up. So I fucking get out of my mm-hmm. bed, turn off the alarm, then go back to bed. And it has been like, now it's come to a point, especially now that the job should happen. I'm just on a fucking low, low, low. So, so this conversation has really like inspired me. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. I'm glad. Okay, let's talk about the challenges then. You know, you said, I don't think people realize how taxing creative careers can be uh, on creatives, especially young creatives. So apart from, you know, finding that work-life balance, um, giving time to yourself, like self-care, for example, you know, going to therapy or working out, going for a run, would you say, is there anything else that you would recommend someone? Definitely do not compare yourself to other people. I, the the world's very overstimulating right now. We can have any sort of information we want whenever we want. Um, so you know, I'm I, I like to scroll through social media when I'm chilling, and I'm consistently seeing other work that people are doing. Like young creatives need to like stay in their lane. Like you can see that, but I wouldn't really pay attention to what other people are doing because then it creates this comparative game and especially don't enable that through your phone because it is so, it is like at your disposal whenever you want, Mm -hmm. you can compare yourself. You know, you can have that just slight feeling where you're like, I like, I want to see what they're doing. And that can, you know, snowball into an extremely bad habit. So uh, I think with social media um, and, the complete overstimulation from it. I think definitely young creatives need to um, stay in their lane, like do your thing, put your head down, put the work in. I think that's an extreme challenge. No one's ever going to be perfect at it. Um, But to, to learn the most you can about yourself and be confident in yourself and what you do just makes all the world of difference. Virgil said like, elevate things 3%. I think that's a a good way to look at things. Uh, Maybe elevate it more than 3%, but people, people like the, the things that people like the most are familiar, but elevated just a little bit. It's the Mm -hmm. familiarity that in in a, like a commercial and a consumer based way, um, they want something that is familiar and, just like a tad bit new. That's why I, I like that ORA brand a lot because um, I think those derbies and those boots that he did are just like yeah. so familiar, but just turned up a little bit, you know? And I think that's why they've done so well. I, I have a question. How do you go about learning so many various software like Rhino, Flashcut, CAD, Illustrator, Photoshop, this and that? Like if you were to put on your LinkedIn tools, it would be like you've run out of characters. <laughs> I, I do like take a lot of pride in, in having all those like little um, softwares that I, I know and I want to keep like learning more. Um, I want to become like fucking Thanos, bro. I want to know how to do like everything. Um, so I just think I'm just going for it. Uh, I don't know. I've taken some classes. Um, like I took a Rhino class, mm-hmm. but that didn't really teach me a whole lot of practical rhino use. So again, it's like those, like any way you can build like a foundation or like a small understanding for softwares and then going out and doing random shit with it. Like um, I learned how to do jewelry and rhino like a year ago. And then I went ahead and um, did headphones and rhino and it was like a totally different process like it, it, there's surfacing and then there's sub d so there's like subcategories in these softwares as well um so i it's just like a getting like a small understanding for for softwares and then just going for it 
yeah illustrators the the one you need you need you gotta know yeah yeah 100 you gotta learn illustrator rhino is just like uh that's it's so extra (laughs) it is i hate it so much it's just something like a high performing individual who's just good at every fucking thing on the planet clay oh bro no i no no thank you but that uh, i'm so bad at rhino what is something you're like not so good at designing god ah, designing clothes designing fucking hate are clothes. you kidding me no no clothes clothes i hate clothes bro bro designing clothes just, is so much easier than yeah, fucking designing for a sure. shoe i think definitely i i don't know i i wouldn't say i'm very good at designing clothes I'm not great at 3D modeling. Um, uh, there's definitely something that is like coming to, to oh colorways, bro. Fuck, I hate doing colorways for things. Oh my god, and I'm just like I'm not good with colors at all. I want to use like black, gray, and tan, and white and cream, and that's about it. Literally like, same. Use. Oh, I don't want to use any other colors. So um, I don't really know much about like color theory or anything, but it, it's but knowing you, to learn. Exactly. Knowing you, the next time we talk, a week after, Clay knows every fucking color in the Pantone book <laughs> and how it works. I'll, I'll like, post, a, post a video with just like a million like color combinations yeah. on my wall or something. It'd be like, yeah, trying to get, get the hang of colors. I don't know. I'm fucking with magenta lately. So magenta, uh, magenta. Stay tuned for some magenta accessories. I mean, isn't it the coolest thing? Like your clothes are thrifted and now you wear minted. Uh, Your accessories, you just fucking make them. That that's, I guess that's my favorite part of, all yeah. this is the is being able to wear my own shoes. Like uh these are my factory samples and I wear them like every day. And to be able to do that is like the best feeling ever. So um yeah, I wouldn't give it up for anything. How is uh that no I know. How is the MOQ looking like when it comes to shoes? Because in clothing, you can get away with 30 or 50. 200. You gotta be kidding. Bro, that's brutal. You you can't really get any lower than 200. So when when I have to pay that and then uh, marketing, I'm about to spam that shit so much. I definitely uh, I definitely have to, to take the marketing very seriously. But yeah, I just uh, I got hardware samples made for the boots. So mm-hmm. it's like a hook instead of the 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 clip, just so okay. it's more functional. And then it it's uh I got to model these, which was fun. But I had to get pay my down payment for like nine hundred of these. <laughs> so that's that was pretty gnarly. <laughs> oh man! But that's yeah. So yeah. We both are in the same boat. I mean, what you said kind of resonated with me and makes me feel better a lot because, like, I'm coming from a university background, right? So my friends are making, like, 70, 80K right off the college because we had internship and all that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's me now. I mean, Clay, if other creatives want to get in touch with you and start a conversation, what are some easiest ways? Instagram probably I don't know I'm I'm horrible with social media I I I have a weird relationship with it um but probably Instagram for sure and I'm like you know I'm always open to talk to whoever I don't people can get kind of weird about it uh, about like answering requests or anything but like if you like hit me up with a question. Like I, I'm most likely to to respond. I usually check my requests pretty often. But hey, man, like I feel like this conversation was more than just an interview, you know. 
and I'm so grateful. Um, oh, thank you. And I can for only real. thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely grateful, man. For real, how talented you are, how I'm, hardworking you are. It's just thank you. It's a fucking pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me uh, like a platform to to speak my mind on as well because I don't know I have I'm just not super comfortable with um, saying how I think on like TikTok and stuff. I'd much rather have it in a more conversational, wholesome format. Did you have fun during this conversation? Absolutely, man. I sometimes I I, I ask myself questions like this and, and just as like a like a type of reflection on so it's nice yeah. to you know speak try to try to make it as understandable as possible because you know with those conversations with yourself like of course you're gonna get what, what you're talking about because it's all in your head so um to be able to to say say it and hopefully um you know inspire or help anyone or or even just tell my story um I'm extremely grateful. You know, right now I'm uh, like I'm trying to get a job and this and that. But I forget like how lucky I am to speak with you, Jaden, my other friends, um, like big graphic designers who it's it's a fucking this is I would do this for the rest of my life for free. You know, in in fact, I'll pay a lot of money Man. to just keep doing it. That's amazing. So, yeah. No, this was great. This was awesome. Hell yeah. Sick.